I will tell you that we don't get huge lift lines at Beaver mm-hmm. Creek. And, and part of the reason for that, um, I think there's a couple, but one is we've got three access portals, right? We have a massive bed base. So we get a lot of destination visitors that spend the night here. And some of those folks aren't in a huge hurry. Some of them don't ski all day. I think one of the other big factors is for a front range or, or a day skier, we're the farthest on I-70. If you're coming all the way to us, you've got to really want to come because before us, you've got Keystone and Breck and Vale, as you mentioned. And so I think that's part of it as well. It's a bigger effort to get all the way to us if you're coming up BI-70. Welcome to the storm. I'm your host, Stuart Winchester hosting a conversation with one of my all-time favorite mountains today, Beaver Creek. Before I get to that, if you are new to the podcast, if you just stumbled across it on iTunes or Spotify, or you found it because I'm featuring a Vail Resorts headliner, thank you very much and welcome. But there's something you need to understand. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a small part of the storm. The heart of this whole operation is the Storm Skiing Newsletter, where I'm breaking down the world of lift-served skiing 12 months a year. You can sign up for the free or paid versions of that at stormskiing.com. Look, this is not like any other ski publication. I don't talk about progressions or parks or helicopters or free skiing. Those things are awesome, but there are plenty of outlets covering that scene. I'm talking about the lift-served skiing universe where 99% of skiers spend 99% of their time. So please give it a shot. If you like this podcast format and what you hear here, you are really going to like the newsletter. I am also on Twitter or Instagram at Storm Ski Journal, where you will get more breaking news and more frequent updates. Okay, onward to my partners. First up, Spot. Let's face it, if you're a skier, you run the risk of getting hurt. And what's worse than wiping out? Massive ER bills, not to mention less time on the slopes. That's why Spot partners with some of the biggest names in the ski industry, like Icon Pass, Telluride, Taos, and more, to offer custom injury coverage with lift tickets and season passes. Spot easily plugs into your checkout flow and does all the heavy lifting to ensure your skiers are covered. If your guests get hurt, a spot policy can pay up to $25,000 of their out-of-pocket medical bills per incident with zero deductible. When your skiers are safe from massive medical costs, they spend more time on the mountain without the fear of an injury holding them back. And that's peace of mind they won't find anywhere else. So visit stormskiing.getspot.com partner with spot and show your community that you have their back when things go sideways to all skiers make sure your mountain has spot so you're not blindsided by medical bills if you wipe out because that's painful enough learn more at stormskiing.getspot.com that's stormskiing.getspot.com and of course i am still proud to partner with mountain gazette issue 196 is just incredible Photo galleries exploring the Washington Cascades, powder skiing and my home city, New York, essays on snowboarding and zen, Alaskan expeditions, and Mammoth Mountain founder Dave McCoy. 
There's even a little crash course on the amazing and mysterious Coyote. And of course, a moving look at skiing in Afghanistan before the country fell to the Taliban. But hey, don't just listen to me. Listen to my man at Isaac underscore Gardner on Twitter. Here's what he said upon receiving his issue. Quote, I had heard the hype from at Storm Ski Journal, but this is more beautiful and even more appealing than I had imagined. Thanks at Skiing Rogi. Thanks so very much. I need this this season and for many more. And quote, don't miss the next one. Issue 197 is in the works right now and will drop within the next few months. Subscribe now to get that when it's released. Enter code GOHIRE-10, all one word, for 10% off subscriptions over at mountaingazette.com. This code is only valid for listeners of the storm. Mountain Gazette. When in doubt, go higher. Episode 79, Nadia Guerrero, Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of Beaver Creek Resort, Colorado. So we all know Vail has 40 resorts but it only has three flagships, Vail Mountain, Whistler, and Beaver Creek. Why is that? What elevates Beaver Creek to that elite status alongside these much bigger and much more prominent mountains? Well, I'll tell you why, or at least why I think it is. Because Beaver Creek is one of the best pure ski areas in Colorado. Tremendous fall line skiing, an insane terrain variety, an out-of-this-world lift system, and a way of spreading out skiers that makes it feel far less frantic than any other I-70 resort. And Vail takes good, good care of the place. The grooming is spectacular, and think about all the problems we've heard about across Vail's portfolio this season, and Beaver Creek is never part of those conversations, at least not as far as I'm aware. It's just a really, really well-run mountain, and it's been like that for as long as I can remember. But, and this is kind of amazing, Whenever I go to Beaver Creek, it feels like it's forgotten by the masses, who really seem to prefer Big Brother Vale Mountain. Look, I love Vale Mountain as much as anyone, but I'm here to tell you the masses are missing out. Beaver Creek is one of my favorite places to drop in, and I am so pumped to bring you a conversation with the woman in charge of the whole operation. Let's go. My guest today is the Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of Beaver Creek, Colorado. Beaver Creek has 167 trails spread across 2,082 acres on a 3,340-foot vertical drop. The ski area is served by 24 lifts, including 12 high-speed quads, two gondolas, and one chandala. The resort has hosted several World Cup and World Championship downhill races, in 1980, Beaver Creek opened as just the second ski area in Vail Resort's portfolio, which now numbers 40 mountains in three countries. Prior to joining the Beaver Creek team in 2019, she was vice president and general manager at Vail's North Star California Resort, where she spent a total of 12 years in varying roles. Nadia Guerrero is my guest. Nadia, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thanks, Stuart. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, so first of all, Nadia, how has the season gone so far at Beaver Creek? We've had a great season at Beaver Creek. It's, um, you know, I think it hasn't been without its challenges for sure that I think are familiar to many ski resorts and many ski resort operators as it relates to 
um, things like COVID variants and different protocols uh, to deal with, the, with those outbreaks, uh, as well as the, the global staffing challenges that we're having, warmness in, mm -hmm. in November, which made snowmaking challenging, and then, mm -hmm. you know, all, all those types of things. But I would say uh, when I sit back, and I've had a few people ask me this in the last couple of days, and when I sit back and, and look at this season, I think it's been a fantastic success. What's your anticipated closing date this year? Our closing date will be April 17th. Oh, nice. I, I, I know Vail pushed theirs to May 1st. Beaver Creek, I think, sometimes has been closer to the beginning of April. Is that a little later date than you're used to, or is that about average? I would say that the 17th is probably on the later side of, of what we normally do. Last year, we had an earlier closing date, and we did push it back a week. Uh, so the 17th is on the later side for us. It's A lot of times it has to do with Easter and where the Easter holiday falls. And as you know, this year it falls on Sunday the 17th. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we'll be finishing it up then. And quite honestly, for us this year, we've got a lot of things going on that are planned to go on this summer. And so we're going to need as much of that downtime as we can get. Mm -hmm. Well, love to hear it. Love that late season. Let's let's go back here, Nadia, because you've had a really interesting career. You've been with Vail Resorts for quite a while now, but but you were actually in the industry and around the industry for a long time. So just take us into your into your early career, how it started, and kind of how you got into ski area management. Right. It's a little bit different probably than than most of the folks that you talk to and most of the folks that are running resorts. But I, I think for me, I knew when I was in college that I wanted to work in sports. I didn't know what that was necessarily going to look like, but I did an internship when I was at the University of Colorado in the sports information and media relations department, working with Dave Platty, the sports information director, who's still there actually. Mm -hmm. um, and really got a taste of, you know, collegiate sports and, also met some folks that um, started me on my career path, which was basically for the first 10 years was in athlete management. So uh, managing and representing athletes from the standpoint of um, sponsorship, uh, sponsorship relationships, media, uh, special appearances, all those types of things. And so the first agency that I worked at was in Boulder, it was an agency called gold medal management, and we managed and represented um, Olympic athletes. And I started there the September after the Atlanta, the 1996 Olympic Games. And we had several gold medalists, and I was the fourth person at the agency. And I started by answering the phones and copying the faxes. <laughs> And so, yeah, and from there, um, I went, I, I moved to California about four or five years later and went into action sports. So working at an agency where we represented surf, skate, snow, BMX, uh, X Games types of athletes when that was really first starting to get, to gain momentum when the X Games, um, you know, the first couple of games I went to were out in Mount Snow before they moved to Aspen. So, um, yeah, so that was for about 10 years, I did that before I started. Um, oh, and then actually, I should mention this too, because you asked about um, skiing and being in the ski industry. When I was at Gold Medal Management, we did eventually sign um, a couple of skiers. And mm -hmm. so we had a speed um, athlete on the women's side of the US ski team. And then eventually we signed 
um, a freestyle mogul skier um, on the men's side. And so that was probably my first entree into the ski business. And, um, and from there, I worked with some X Games skiers and snowboarders. Any, uh, any big names we would know? So at Gold Medal Management in 1996, we signed Peekaboo Street. Oh, cool. And so Amazing. I worked with, yeah, so I worked with Peekaboo for about four, four years or so and uh, was with her when she won her gold medal in Nagano. And wow. then right after that in 1998, which was when she won that gold medal, we also right after the game signed Johnny Mosley. And mm-hmm. he had also won a gold medal there. And so I worked with Johnny for uh, a couple of years as well. Wow. A couple of transcendent figures there. Were you always a skier? Did you grow up skiing? I, I would say, yes, I, I grew up skiing, but I wouldn't call us a ski family necessarily. Mm-hmm. We, I started skiing when I was young with my mom and my aunt, and my sister, and we were, you know, we'd cross country ski, which we um, didn't love and <laughs> <laughs> always asked if we were there yet. And then when I was 10, my sister was eight my parents put us in lessons at Eldora, um, night, night lessons at Eldora with a bunch of adults. And I, I can say that I don't think, I think I can count on one hand how many times I've Nordic skied since then and, um, just fell in love with downhill skiing. And we would do it, you know, we, um, we would do it when we could get cheap tickets at King Supers. We'd go to Copper Mountain or Loveland or Winter Park or wherever it was, but we weren't, um, I never was on a, team or in a program or anything like that. It was just kind of a fun family activity. We like to go on, you know, Christmas and Super Bowls when the crowds were going to be smaller. But yeah, having grown up in in Colorado and in Boulder, I did um, I did ski a lot. But I also will tell you that I took a big hiatus from skiing. So in high school, I played basketball and then in college, I couldn't afford to ski. So there was about seven or eight years there where I did not ski at all, not even once. And it wasn't until I was out in Mount Hood um, on a photo shoot with Peekaboo for Rosignol, and I got on some skis and I went down, took a run behind her, and I thought, "Oh my gosh, what? Why am I not doing this? I love this." <laughs> so I've been skiing ever since. So, so you're around, you know, these world class skiers, some really iconic folks, and you're around skiing all the time. And you get back into it, and you get that love. Was there a, a point, Nadia, when you said, "Okay"? this is where I want to be. I want to work in the ski business at a ski resort. Was there that moment or, or was there, or was there, was, was it something else? How did you end up at North star transitioning from this agent role that you had? Yeah. Um, I would say, I mean, the, the overarching answer to your question is no. Um, it was not something that I set my sights on, but I, um, I eventually left, Southern California where I was living and working in action sports um, because I just realized I wasn't really a SoCal girl. I was more of a mountain mm. type person. And so I moved to Reno mm. and I um, was still working with some athletes at that time. I was working with Tanner Hall and CR Johnson for a little while and, mm-hmm. you know, a couple other um, folks on that um, more, I guess you still call it freestyle or free ride uh, X games type mm-hmm. of athletes. And I also, um, at that point, I, you know, I did some movie production work with Dave Sione, um, the Sean Wade album and Kevolution and some things like that. And so I was still just kind of trying to figure it out. I worked for the RSCVA, the Reno Sparks Convention and Visitors Authority for a little while um, in the special events department, marketing department 
Um, and through that, I met some folks in the, in the ski industry, um, in the resort business, because in, in Tahoe, there's, I don't know, 16 or 18 ski resorts. And so mm-hmm. we would end up, you know, working with them and seeing them at, at, um, events and things like that. And, um, I, I, when I was working at the RCBA, I just got an opportunity to interview for a role at North star and it was a marketing role actually. Mm-hmm. And it was for North star at Tahoe and Sierra at Tahoe, both mm-hmm. didn't end up working out, but a couple Months later, I got a phone call about an events role um, at Northstar, and um, at that time, I was working pretty heavily in events. I had done some X Games things, working for ESPN and various different roles like that. And so, um, Northstar had just finished building their Revolutionary Village. You know, much like Beaver Creek, they have a a, a skating rink at the center of it and commercial. Um, retail locations on the ground floor and then residential and the floors above. And so it, was, it became, there was an opportunity to um, interview for this event director role at North Star. And so I did and I, um, and I ended up getting it. And so that's when I sort of transitioned into kind of what I was looking for, which is what was a big job that was going to kind of keep me in one place rather than traveling so much. And um, I, you know, I was really wanting to put down roots somewhere and that that somewhere ended up being Reno and um, that's when I got the role at Northstar which was in 2007. So how was that transition for you? How did you settle into the ski business? Was there was there a learning curve or, or did you take to it pretty easily? I would say I took to it pretty easily. I had spent I like to say I'd spent many many hours on the sides of ski hills standing in my ski boots watching <laughs> events, you know, whether it be big airs or, or half pipe comps or whatever it was. And so, and, and, you know, that coupled with my curiosity always of sort of what I call back of the house operations, I was always curious to know how things worked and how, who made it happen and how it all came together. And so, um, and I felt comfortable on, mm-hmm. at a ski resort, I felt comfortable on the snow. I knew how to ski. Um, and, yeah, so I th- I think it was a it was a pretty easy transition for me. The the um, I was able to bring some of my skills from athlete management into it. You know, the relationship building, um, you know, some of my negotiation skills and things like that. And so mm-hmm. it was, and I wanted to be there. I was so excited. So even though it wasn't something that I set my sights on, I just I was thrilled to be not you know dressing up in dress pants every day, sitting at an office in a, in a building. I was thrilled to be working at a ski resort with, you know, a, a ski hill right outside my window. And it's a heck of a resort too. I mean, North Star is a pretty special place. It's, it's one of the, the larger resorts around Tahoe and it's, you know, that, that's an arena that's hard to stand out on. So talk a little bit about North Star and, and what it felt like to call that place home and what makes that resort special. I think what makes that resort special is, is the, the people and the people that work there. Um, I mean, it's an incredible team. And even as our resorts change every year and people, you know, some people come and go, it, it continues to attract uh, amazing people who work there that are just super passionate about, about the resort and, um, and serving our guests. So I think that's what, what makes it special, but it's also, uh, it's a really fun place to ski. As you mentioned, it's very special. Um, you know, if you go all the way to, to the top off of Comstock, you've got a view of Lake Tahoe, which is pretty incredible and unique. Um, on the backside, all of those runs are a mile long and wow. really fun to ski. And 
you know, when they've got great snow and when, when the snow comes in, it's fantastic. I mean, I've had some of my most absolutely most memorable ski days uh, at North star uh, in my, in my whole life. So you showed up in 2007 and started to settle in and feel at home. Uh, not a Vail Resort when you arrived. Vail Resorts purchased North Star in 2010. What was your reaction when you heard that news? Well, um, I, you know, I think I had the benefit of some maturity and some experience because my previous role when I was in when I was in Boulder at, at the small agency, Gold Metal Management, the owner sold that to IMG, which mm-hmm. was kind of the catalyst for me to leave. I thought. Mm, I don't think I want to do this. I don't want to work for a big corporate company. And so <laughs> I left. <laughs> and so, like I said, I had the, I had the benefit of, um, you know, some, some age and maturity and, and probably some, you know, financial responsibility on my side where I thought, huh, you know, yeah, I grew up in Colorado. I'm familiar with Vail Resorts. I've skied there. My, you know, my cousins lived in Avon growing up. And so I thought, this is pretty exciting and I'm going to, I'm definitely going to stick around and see what this is all about. Though Vail was new to, to North Star, it wasn't new to Tahoe. They had already owned Heavenly for, I believe, eight years. Were you plugged in with your colleagues and your new colleagues down at Heavenly? And did you kind of know what to expect out of a Vail management position? Uh, I think that, you know, I, I definitely had a positive outlook of Vail Resorts, you know, like I said, just mainly from, from growing up in Colorado and having visited their resorts. I think there were a lot of learnings and, you know, on the Vail Resort side, it was the first acquisition since Heavenly, which was in, Mm -hmm. in, um, as you mentioned in 2002. So it was eight years later. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think there was a lot of time in between those two. And there was just, um, I think just a much different approach taken, um, you know, and even I would say, a much different approach taken now to 12 years later, right. Of how right. we, how we do um, acquisitions and things. So I think um, I felt like we had a lot to learn at North star and we were really just plugged in and excited to learn what we could from Vail resorts and also share our brand and our culture with the rest of the company. So the integration must've went pretty well for you personally, because eventually you had the opportunity to lead North Star as vice president and general manager, as I mentioned, and you took over for Beth Howard, who moved over to Beaver Creek and now leads Vail Mountain. What were your challenges at North Star when you when you were appointed to that role, and and what did you mostly focus on when you were leading that resort? Um, you know, I think very very similar to my role here at Beaver Creek, uh, and I would think you know, a lot of our, our roles of GMs and COs in our company. I mean, my, my first major focus was always safety and uh, safety of employees and guests. And then, you know, looking at operational excellence, paying attention to details, where can we make improvements? And, you know, and then the other big focus for me is employees, the employee experience. You know, I, I believe that um, we are all here having a human experience together and, um, and, how we treat each other, you know, whether it be peers uh, or direct reports or frontline employees, those types of things, I think that matters. And so I, you know, my big focus was on the people and, and the safety of those people, be it employees or guests, and making sure that our, that our resort operated with excellence every single day that it was open. 
So you you mentioned earlier that you had your agency life and you were traveling a lot and that was that was an exciting but it's a certain kind of lifestyle and you wanted to set down roots and make a home in Reno and you did that and you had a lot of success professionally and were able to lead one of the major resorts there in Tahoe. So that takes us to Beaver Creek and this opportunity comes up to lead one of Vail's flagships. So what was appealing about that opportunity to you, Nadia, and how did that opportunity come your way? The What was appealing to me about it, one was, you know, the familiarity of, um, of Colorado, you know, it, it was, it would bring me back home to Colorado, which has been fantastic. Both my parents uh, still live on the front range. Mm. And so, you know, coming back to Colorado and being closer to them as, as they, you know, age as we all do. Um, so that, that was a big part of it for sure. Um, but, you know, also the opportunity to lead one of our premier resorts in our portfolio was really a huge honor, but also something I was super excited about. Um, you know, the, the history and legacy of, of Beaver Creek is massive. And so now to have a chance to have a part of that and be part of, of shaping some of that as we move forward is, is it was exciting then and continues to be, um, you know, having spent 12 years at, at North star, I think there was a, a little piece of me that also was, was curious, um, about what other opportunities and what other roles I could play within the company. And so the thing that I think at North Star, you know, one of the other things that I did focus on and, and was certainly part of the job is all the stakeholder management, which of course our guests and our employees are stakeholders, but there's also, you know, homeowners associations and hospitality and all of those types mm-hmm. of things. And so I had some exposure to that and was excited to come to Beaver Creek and, and bring that experience to my, my learning around the complexity of, of this resort. And so I think, you know, really that opportunity for personal and professional growth was probably the leading reason for me and come to Beaver Creek in this role. So, you know, now that you've had a little bit of time to settle in at Beaver Creek and, and you have all that experience at North Star and you have the perspective of a native Colorado, which, you know, a Colorado has very much become a state of transplants as much of the Mountain West has. I'm really curious in your perspective on this, Nadia. So the difference between managing a ski resort in Tahoe, which has its own very unique weather system and kind of snow, and you get a lot of snow. Sometimes it's the heavy snow. And when it comes, it comes a lot of it at a time. And uh, Colorado, you get a better snow quality in general, um, maybe not quite the volume, although Beaver Creek is quite snowy. Just uh, take us into some of the differences of of operating these mountains and 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 how you have to approach each one a little bit differently from an operations point of view. Okay, I'll I'll get to that. I will tell you first. So I'm not a native of Colorado. Okay. I, gotta, I gotta make sure I don't misrepresent okay. myself. <laughs> we moved to Colorado <laughs> when I was four. I was born in Detroit, Michigan. Okay. Just, okay. You know, just down the road from Mount Brayton. Oh, Michigander so, like me. <laughs> we moved to Colorado when I was four, so I can't I can't claim na- native status, but okay. Uh, but I've been here a long time. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that is one of the big differences between operating a ski resort in, in California and Tahoe certainly, and in Colorado is the weather and snow conditions. Um, I mean, you touched on it, but Tahoe is so close to the coast, right? So that heavy, wet snow, it's got high water content. Um, it comes, and, and when it comes, it, it usually comes pretty big. And when it doesn't come, sometimes it doesn't come for a while. <laughs> Uh, and so that is certainly challenging. I mean, everything from 
um, slope management, well, before that, even snowmaking to, to managing the snow that you do have and keeping it and preserving it. And, um, you know, I think there's some, some very distinct memories I have from my first couple of years uh, as a GM in the, at Northstar. And so my first year in 1617, we got 692 inches of snow. Oh my goodness. And our, and our biggest storm was 42 inches. Wow. Uh, I remember Donner Pass got five feet of snow in a 24 hour period in one of those storms. And so, you know, when you start to think about the impact that, that has on, um, on the road system and the parking lots and, you know, our employees getting to and from work. So the challenges that, that came with that first season were really, um, eye-opening, I would say, um, in terms of, you know, thinking about, okay, if our employees get, can't get home because the roads are closed and the buses aren't running, um, you know, where are they going to sleep and how are we going to make sure they're ready for work tomorrow? And, you know, various things like that, everything, you know, down to clearing off chairlifts and things like that. You've seen those photos of, of buried chairlifts. And then when you think about parking lots, you lose parking spaces because of snow storage. And so, yeah, there's a lot of things, um, about operating in Tahoe that make it challenging, but also getting that amount of snow is, is so exciting and makes for really amazing conditions um, out there. So, yeah. And I, yeah. And you you mentioned in Colorado, it's, it's more consistent. um, It's colder and uh, we don't get as much snow, but it's, but it does stay longer and Mm -hmm. it's colder, which means you can have higher snowmaking production and, you know, I would, I would just say it's more, it's, it's more consistent and it makes operating just a little bit, a little bit smoother. Yeah. You really lay that out well, Nadia. And, and it gets to something else that I want to, that I want to bring up here. So Vale has, uh, is often criticized. And I don't think this is a fair criticism. I don't agree with it. Uh, but, but there's a narrative that all the Vale resorts are the same or the Vale tries to make all its mountains the same. I think you just laid out a, a pretty, distinct difference between North Star and Beaver Creek. Can, but there's all kinds of mountains in, the, in Vail's portfolio, right? You, you have Kirkwood, which is just totally different than anything else. You have Crested Butte, which is this kind of end of the road ski area. It's got this really hardcore locals culture. And then you have your big mountains like Vail, and then you have your little Midwestern ones. They're all, they're all very distinct. Just take us inside Beaver Creek. It's, I love Beaver Creek. It's, it's such a special mountain, but just what, from your point of view, really sets this apart? It, because Vail has 40 mountains, right? But there's three that they point to and say, these are special tier access. You need a full Epic Pass for the unlimited access. These are the ones we kind of keep at a higher level. And that's Vail Mountain, that's Whistler, and that's Beaver Creek. So what is it that's so distinct about Beaver Creek that puts it on that tier with Vail? And just how do you characterize this mountain? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. It is a special mountain. I love it too. And I, it's a really one of a kind place. And, you know, for us, there's this, there is a long ingrained culture here at Beaver Creek uh, to provide the best of the best in terms of, of guest experience and guest service. We pay attention to the details. We pride ourselves on that. We make our guests feel taken care of and welcome home. We consider ourselves perpetual hosts. Uh, of our mountain and our village. And we always want to create the best possible guest experience, whether that's people, you know, that just came to um, stroll around our Alpine village or, or that it came to ski our terrain offerings. So that's a big piece of it. We, the mountain itself, we have opportunities for beginner and intermediate skiers 
and snowboarders to really learn and progress through our signature parks collection. And we have opportunities for advanced and expert skiers to challenge themselves on a world championship race course and thrilling steeps and trees um, and some off-piste type skiing over on Grouse Mountain, but also over off of Rose Bowl. And um, so, so lots of um, terrain offerings for varying levels. Um, you know, with the Signature Parks collection specifically, adding McCoy Park was a big commitment to our guest experience that is, an is the third installment of our Signature Park series. It's dedicated family-friendly zone for beginner, intermediate skiers and riders. And it has this, it's like nothing else on Beaver Creek. It's got this amazing natural feel. It's like, it feels like a backcountry bowl. Um, skiing back there. It's got signature groomed and gladed trails. Um, and it's really a place where the whole family can go and connect and be with each other and be in nature and, and almost feel like I mentioned, like you're in the back country. You really don't even see any infrastructure back there. And so um, really just a, 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 a diversity of offerings on the mountains um, in terms of varying levels but you know one of the other things that's interesting and, and really unique to us is in this signature parks collection we have um, red buffalo park which is kind of the second installment and that's a beginner area at the top of our mountain so beginners and intermediates can go to the top of our mountain and ski which is not uh, very common so providing those kind of experiences i think is is what makes beaver creek special let's talk about mccoy park because th this is a, a really interesting piece of terrain and this has actually been on Beaver Creek's trail map for decades as a Nordic center. So just take us into this, Nadia, of the evolution of McCoy Park from a Nordic and snowshoe center to a lift-served family oasis that you opened just this season. Yeah, it has been on the plan for decades, and it has been part of, you know, within our operating footprint for decades as well, like you mentioned, um, as a Nordic and snowshoe destination. So... McCoy Park is our newest terrain expansion, both at Beaver Creek, but for the company as well. It offers 250 acres of lift served, kind of welcoming ski and snowboard terrain for intermediate skiers and riders. Um, we've got 17 new trails of natural groomable glades. Mm -hmm. We did also maintain the snowshoe and cross country areas out there. So there are still many of our trails that were utilized for snowshoe and Nordic skiing prior to this expansion still exist in the very same form. We had to reroute some of them, but many of them are still there the same way they were before. Well, that's interesting. What, what is the, what's the reception been like so far from your skiers to this new terrain? The guest reaction and reception has been overwhelmingly positive. It's been incredible to see people out there and to just lead to ride the lift and, and hear kids, you know, saying, watch this dad, you know, or whatever it is. It's been um, a really, really well-received addition to Beaver Creek and not just for the beginner and intermediate skiers. I've had many, many lo longtime local homeowners that are clearly advanced expert skiers tell me how wonderful the expansion is, how great it is to have that available for, you know, their grandchildren and, and other folks that are coming to Beaver Creek for the first time. So, yeah, they, I mean, one of the other things about McCoy Park that's just amazing is the view from there, too. So once you ride McCoy Park Express and you get to the top and you can go out on the back deck of the Eaton House, the views are unmatched. 
and gorgeous and go, you can see for miles and, and you don't get those views from anywhere else at Beaver Creek. You don't get those views from anywhere else in Eagle County really. And so um, just an amazing addition to our offering. So what's the, give some, give us some advice here as skiers, Nadia, as far as the best way into McCoy parks, I've heard some feedback from some folks who have skied it. I've not been to Beaver Creek myself this season, but some feedback from some skiers that there's a lot of traversing required. So you could drop in from Bachelor Gulch, you could drop in from Strawberry. What, what's the what's the best way if you're toting along a couple of kids? What's the best way to get down into that terrain? Well, first you're going to have to come out here and ski it with me. So let me know <laughs> when you come, and I'll take you out there. I'll do that um, for sure. <laughs> but it does have three different lift access points, so our guests can ride Strawberry Park Express right out of the village here up, mm-hmm. and they can drop in, um, and that puts you right on Exploration, which is a um, you know, cat track ski way down to the bottom. Okay. Then there's Larkspur Express, um, which is um, chair 11 and it's more puts you in closer to the top. And so you can drop down in that way. And then the other, the third way is Upper Beaver Creek Express, which is a similar um, entry point to Strawberry Park. So there's those three lift serve ways. Um, and then if, if for folks to get back down, like if they're looking to go to Bachelor Gulch, they can take um, Unwind to Primrose, down to Sawbuck. Uh, if they're looking to get back to Beaver Creek Village, they can take um, the expressway out via um, via Unwind. You can also download Strawberry Park. We did put in that um, the chairlift reunion, so if folks get to the bottom and they want to take a lift out, we've got um, a lift that takes them out and, and drops folks right at the top of Strawberry Park Express. Terrific. And they, you can't download that lift, can you? No. And so you, and you cannot get into McCoy from the top of Bachelor Gulch? No, you can't get, it looks like you can, um, or it looks like you should be able to, but there is a drainage that kind of runs Mm. down the skiers right of McCoy park. And so there are certain areas that look like they would be great skiing to, to head down into McCoy park, but you would really end up in this drainage and, and, end up in a place where you can't get back to the bottom of the lift. You know, it's interesting because you mentioned Red Buffalo and and uh, last time I was at Beaver Creek, I went up there at the end of the day and cruised around and it's just so nice. And you're right. You're just at the top of the world. And I already considered that one of the best green para- green pods in Colorado or really in the West. And, and I think most areas would have said, okay, this is good enough. We have this, check that box. So what made you put all this money and investment in time into McCoy Park when you already had this really nice center? Well, for us, it's it's about um, bringing, you know, families and kids into the sport and progressing, right? And so you're right, Red Buffalo is all those things. And it is it is the pod that I talked about where beginners and intermediates can go to the top of the mountain, which is a special experience. McCoy Park, though, is something completely different. It's um, it is intermediate and beginner skiing in a bowl setting. And so um, it's a unique experience that you really can't get anywhere else. And we wanted to be able to offer that to our guests and um, be able to also sp- spread our guests out a bit. It's, it's a really um, interesting area too, because it's super safe in that there are not other skiers trying to get somewhere else, mm-hmm. right? It is, a, it is a ski destination. So if you're going to McCoy Park, that's where you're going. You're not traveling or flying through there if you're an advanced or intermediate uh, high advanced intermediate skier to get somewhere else right and so it feels very safe it feels very contained um you know the other thing is 
the actual terrain. So as I mentioned, it's you know natural groomable glades. And so what that means is it provides for this really, like there's rollers and banks and it's this really fun, playful terrain. You can go in and out of the trees. There's not, um, it's not an area where it's, you know, really cut and designated runs. You can sort of play back and forth all in between the bowl and still end up at the same place. And mom and dad can start at one point and the kids can start at another point and they can say, meet you at the bottom and everybody sort of chooses their own adventure. Um, so it's a really different kind of experience to Red Buffalo Park, and it's very, very additive to our, our ski experience. And so that's, that was something that we felt very strongly about and, um, and are really pleased with the way that it's come out and been received. I love that whole concept, Nadia. And folks who have listened to the podcast know I'm always, always yammering on about the idea of green circle glades or beginner terrain that's not necessarily... Uh, your traditional wide open groomers. Cause you know, I, I, I think for a long time glades were automatically double black diamond terrain and it's really hard to learn how to ski trees if that's your entree into it. So programming folks at the very beginning of their ski careers to be able to manage obstacles and, and, and do it in a fun way, I think is really important to the experience of creating a whole mountain skier. Right. And the other thing that that's, that's spot on. And the other thing that's um, great about that area too, is when it gets snow, it holds it very well. And so to give people the experience of skiing powder uh, at that lower angle and in that atmosphere um, and in that setting is also a really wonderful way to learn how to ski powder and, and, and conquer some of that intimidation factor that comes with, um, you know, deeper snow. So you had a successful launch. McCoy Park's out there. Everything I've read about it uh, has been really complimentary of it. Seems like it's really well received. But because we're skiers, we're, of course, immediately going to start asking, what are you going to do for us next? So uh, looking around the mountain, you have a really amazing lift fleet, a lot of high, high speed lifts, 12 high speed quads, as I, as I mentioned in the intro. Um, but I'm sure you have a wish list of what you would like to see upgraded. And I'm sure Vale has a it has an order where they're going to replace these things. If you look at Grouse Mountain, for example, that that lift is 30 years old. Aerobahn Express dates to 1988. Do you have a, a sense, Nadia, of which lifts we may see upgraded on Beaver Creek next, or or just a personal wish list of of where you think it's probably time soon? Yeah, we are constantly assessing and evaluating our lifts and opportunities for upgrades and replacements. The other thing we're also looking at is all of our facilities too, um, you know, in terms of those kind of upgrades and, and replacements as well. Um, I am, I'm definitely still celebrating McCoy Park, you know, to do a 250 acre expansion and put in two lifts um, in a time period. Really, we started on July 1st due to um, wildlife closures. So mm -hmm. that project was, um, was fast and furious. And I think, you know, we're going to continue to fine tune that and, and take a look at it, but, you know, yeah, of course we'll continue to look at our, our lifts and our, and our, um, fleet of lifts and, and, you know, not just replacement, but what are the, what are the paths of travel and do they still work for how we're skiing the mountain now and, and what snowfall looks like and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, you mentioned a couple that, that we'll probably look at, um, you know, as a company, we've got, 21 lifts going in across 14 resorts, um, coming up here soon. And, and, um, 
I think that's amazing and, and we'll continue to plan. We do multi-year plans like, like many um, ski resorts and operators do. And so we'll just keep taking a look at that and assessing and evaluating where our next opportunities are. What are the pinch points currently at Beaver Creek? Some areas where maybe you would consider upgrades because you get a little bit longer lines. That's a, that's a really good question, Stuart. And um, I will tell you that we don't get huge lift lines at Beaver mm-hmm. Creek. We, and, and part of the reason for that, um, I think there's a couple, but one is we've got three access portals, right? We've got the bottom of, um, well, the top of the village, uh, the bottom of the mountain there at chair six. We also have um, at Centennial chair six there. We also have the Hay Meadow gondola right there. Um, mm-hmm. and we've got chair two. So um, that's that what I would say is, you know, kind of our main portal, but even across the bridge, we've got Strawberry Park Express. And so there's another way for folks to get up. But we also have Bachelor Gulch and the base area there, as well as Arrowhead in the base area there. So having three portals is really helps to spread our guests out. Um, and so I think once folks get up on the mountain and they spread out and they um, are in Red Buffalo Park or they're on Grouse Mountain or they're out in McCoy Park, um, we don't we have not seen long lift lines this year and certainly not like last year. I've heard some other folks on your podcast talk about, um, you know, with the restrictions and the ghost lanes and things like that, this year has been uh, a much different year. And so I would say, you know, we don't have a lot of pinch points, um, that we would look at really, you know, putting in, you know, some of these eight, eight packs or those types of things. We have one six and that's Centennial right at the base and it, and it works very well. Um, we also have 25 gondola cabins on that. So it's technically a chondola. It's amazing, Nadia. You know, I, I've been skiing at Beaver Creek for about 20 years and I've never waited in a lift line there longer than, I don't know, three chairs. And, And I've been there on powder days. I've been there on weekends. I've been there in the middle of winter. I've been there in the spring. I've been there all different kinds of times. And I'm always like, am I just getting lucky? Like what's going on here? Because this is a Vail Resorts flagship. It's right in the shadow of Vail Mountain. What accounts for that? I mean, I know you just laid out a lot of, a lot of factors, but does it, does Vail Mountain get that many more skiers than Beaver Creek? I know Beaver Creek still gets a lot of skiers. It's still one of the busiest ski resorts in the country. What accounts for the fact that, that it just, it just never feels like Breckenridge or Keystone or Copper Mountain or or Steamboat or some of these other resorts in Colorado where you get these monster lines. I th- I think some is what I mentioned. You know, just having the three different um, portals and sort of three different pods or ski areas. You know, within within a ski area, so it really spreads folks out. We have a massive bed base, so we get a lot of destination visitors that. Um, spend the night here. And some of those folks aren't in a huge hurry. Some of them don't ski all day. Um, So we see a lot of that. I think, I think one of the other big factors is, you know, for, for a front range or, or a day skier, um, we're the farthest on I-70. You know, if you're coming all the way to us, you've got to really want to come because before us, you've got, you know, Keystone and Breck and, and another couple resorts there in Summit County, as well as Vail, as you mentioned. And so um, I, th- I think that's part of it as well is just, you know, if, if it's a it's a bigger effort to get all the way um, to us if you're coming up BI 70. Yeah, it always amazes me. I, I always ask people, I live in New York, and I always ask them when they're going out for vacation to Vail, I'm like, well, how many days are you going to go over to Beaver Creek? And 
nine times out of 10, they say, oh, we're not, we're not going to ski at Beaver Creek. That's, that's just like a little place. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's, it's one of the best mountains in Colorado. And for some reason, I don't know if it just gets overshadowed by Vail or what, but it just never, never, it just feels like a very different experience to me. I, I think that's right. I mean, it, it isn't, as you mentioned earlier, all of our resorts uh, are different and have their own brand personality and that's intentional. Um, but I've had the same experience. I've been skiing at Vail and I'll ask these folks that are from, you know, Florida or wherever they're from, if they're going to spend a day at Beaver Creek and they haven't even considered it. Right. Um, and I, I think some of it's perception, um, mm-hmm. you know, that it's actually farther than 10 miles down the road from right. Vail. Um, you know, some of it um, is probably just a lack of awareness around um, our amazing terrain and our amazing experience here. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think um, I think words getting out a bit. We certainly have seen a lot more first time Beaver Creek skiers, which we really enjoy. We love introducing them to our experience and um, and hearing what they have to say about it. It's really fun to it's really fun to ride the lift with someone who's never been here and, and talk with them about all the things they can go do. And it's really more than most folks can do in a day. Yeah. So you mentioned it's only 10 miles away from Vail. And, and actually, as the bird flies, it's even closer. There's been periodic dis- discussions over the years of a potential gondola connection between Vail and Beaver Creek with a midstation near Minturn atop the abandoned Meadow Mountain ski area. There's a really good article about this in Vail Magazine four or five years ago. Are there any active discussions around this, Nadia, or is the Vail to Beaver Creek gondola plan dead? Um, I, you know, I, I um, have been doing some research on this recently as well, because from the time that I've been here, I've heard no conversations about it. So um, I think it's, it's not something that, that we're talking about. I mean, I, I really think it would be great to talk more about how to, you know, how do we improve the, ex- the experience of getting folks from the front range to summit in Eagle County, mm-hmm. um, you know, and what, what could that possibly look like? It, that's a really interesting point, Nadia. Is that something that Vale thinks about and, and talks about? Because I-70 has become very, very difficult. And as you said, you're sort of at the tail end of it. And so maybe your skiers are, are, the, are maybe more Beaver Creek skiers kind of set up shop for a little while and they're not dealing with that day traffic necessarily, which would be a very long drive. But as a company, is, is that an issue you're talking about? I know Vail runs a whole shuttle service and everything else, but, but is that an active conversation? Well, I, I would say a couple of things. First is that um, we do have an airport here in Eagle County. Um, we've got the, the Vail EGE airport, which uh, has many direct flights coming from a lot of our destinations and um, is really a great option. And increasing air service and things like that is definitely something that we're always in conversation with our, with our community partners about. Um, the other thing is, you know, having, having grown up in Boulder and having um, in Colorado is in having had the experience of I-70. Um, I mean, I'm not sure how much worse it's gotten, right? Like it, it's, mm-hmm. it's always been a challenge. And so there was always these decade long plans to, to connect Denver to, to the mountains with high-speed rail and things like that. You know, um, I don't know if it's wishful thinking at this point, but I think that would be a really nice thing to be talking about. Um, you know, we certainly are involved in conversations with all kinds of community leaders and, and constituents and things like that. But, um, but um, in terms of specific plans, I'm, I'm not sure where those are at right now. 
Okay. Uh, back to Beaver Creek here. There's there's a, a, an interesting bit of history with Beaver Creek, and I'm hoping you can enlighten us on this because I feel like this is not a commonly known story. So Arrowhead, which you mentioned, which is at the, te- the one end of your resort and Rose Bowl at the other end, that was once a separate ski area. So just give us this history here of how Beaver Creek and Arrowhead ended up coming together and becoming one ski resort. Yeah, Arrowhead is at the... Um at the westernmost um, point of our ski resort. And um, you can ski from Beaver Creek all the way to Arrowhead and and it's actually quite easy to get over there. And so Arrowhead um, was a separate ski area. It was started in 1988. um, And then uh, then Bale Associates at the time bought it and it was um, connected in 1993 via Bachelor Gulch. So Bachelor Gulch was kind of the, the important piece um, to be able to connect Arrowhead as well. So um, it, that, it, sorry, it was um, it was acquired in 1993, is that what I said? And connected to Beaver Creek via Bachelor Gulch in 97 mm-hmm. is when it actually got um, connected. And so it's a, it's a gem of an area. There's some great skiing over there um, on Cresta and um, on golden bear. And, um, and so it's a real, um, it's a real cool destination within our ski resort. You know, originally the founders of Beaver Creek, when they were wanting to um, build this resort, they envisioned it as this sort of European village to village skiing. And Mm -hmm. so we have that now really from Beaver Creek to Bachelor Gulch to Arrowhead and, and back again. And you can have this kind of European style adventure in your day. Yeah, it's a really laid back ski experience over there. And, and from, from my experience at Beaver Creek, the and you can correct me where I'm wrong here, but when I've skied there, the, the biggest crowds I found were around Centennial, Cinch, Rose Bowl. Then it's a little less busy over Birds of Prey, Grouse Mountain and Larkspur. And then you go over to, to Bachelor Gulch and Arrowhead and it just feels like a private ski area and it's, it's really gentle terrain, very non-intimidating, like really great place to just cruise with your family. And it always feels like a little secret when I'm over there. Yeah, it is. It's really, um, they are both special areas, both Bachelor Gulch and Arrowhead. In fact, Bachelor Gulch, when sometimes, um, depending on snow and connectivity, we'll open the Bachelor Gulch Express chairlift early season and just ski it as a bowl. Um, And so it sort of is like a private ski area for, you know, homeowners and Ritz Carlton guests. Um, But it is, it's, it's very welcoming um, ski train. It feels different than Beaver Creek mountain. It feels like you're in another place. And I think that's one of the, the charms of Beaver Creek is that within one ski resort, you can have so many different experiences and you can really, um, you know, if you're kind of thinking about it in terms of like driving on I-70, I mean, you're, you're going from exit to exit to exit across I-70, but you're doing it on the mountain skiing. And it's, it's just a really, um, it's a unique experience. So how set are Beaver Creek's current boundaries? Are you at the edges of your permit area? Is there ever a, a, a piece of wilderness that this ski resort could expand its footprint into? Yeah, I mean, we're, we work closely with our U.S. Forest Service partners and, um, you know, of course, we have gates that access some of the backcountry outside of our permit areas. Um, but, you know, we'll continue talking about that and looking at it. Our focus has been so heavily um, aimed at McCoy Park for the last several years, as you mentioned. I mean, that's been a 
that's been in, in our plans for decades. It's been a decade long vision and it's been several years in the making. And so I think, you know, just working on that expansion and, and we're going to, you know, continue to refine that experience and then and see where we go from there. So one thing you're really known for, Nadia, is really trying to amp up the food game at Beaver Creek. And to be honest with you, I already thought the the food there at Beaver Creek was pretty good. Beaver Creek and Deer Valley were always at the top of my list for a good on-mountain meal. So, uh, but, but it sounds like you want to really amp that up even more. So talk about that and, and how you're going about that. We have a um, massive food and beverage operation here at Beaver Creek um, and, and very uh, and diverse as well. So everything from, you know, the, the quick service restaurants, which provide seating as well as grab and go, you know, outdoor seating areas, snow beaches, fire pits, things like that. Um, and so constantly looking at that experience and how do we um, effectively move people and, and provide um, provide them with the best possible guest service. We also um, have probably more of what you're talking about is some of our more unique offerings, more of our rarefied experiences in the culinary world, which are our private ca- our, our cabins on the mountain, which during the day are um, private and operate for various club members um, and and um, and signature clubs at Beaver Creek. But at night we offer public dining at those cabins. And so there's Allie's cabin on the front side, Bino's cabin, which is kind of at the bottom of Larkspur Bowl, and then Zach's cabin, which is over on Bachelor Gulch. And we operate private uh, public dinners in the evening in which we um, shuttle guests up in sleighs that are towed behind snowcats. And Mm -hmm. so it's a very magical and unique experience where they're riding in these sleighs and I've done it a handful of times. So I know the sleigh hosts always um, are giving uh, information and trivia and, and historical facts and figures about Beaver Creek and the early settlers and things like that. And then you go to these cabins and you feel like you are in a cabin in the woods and if it's snowing, oh, it's just magical, right? And so you sit down and have these gourmet meals. Um, so that's a big part of, of the experience. We also have um, our cabin. So we've got our candy cabin, which is at the top of Strawberry Park. It's like an old fashioned um, throwback candy store. So you can go in there and fill up your bag of um, your, your little white paper bag with, you know, Jolly Ranchers and Zots and Taffy and things like that. Um, that's really popular with the kids. Um, and then in the heart of uh, our village here, we have a new restaurant called Citria, which um, is showcasing an entirely new menu and concept, which combines kind of fresh ingredients with um, a sort of a culinary interpretation of Mediterranean cuisine. And so that's been quite popular this year as well. So, um, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention that, of course, we brought back cookie time this season. And so at three o'clock every day at the bottom of the hill and in the village, we hand out, um, we have chefs in chef's hats and chef's coats that hand out warm, gooey chocolate chip cookies to all of our guests. Amazing. Yeah. Anyone who's been to Beaver Creek knows that that is, aside from the skiing, of course, one of the highlights of being there. Um, so let's talk about the Epic Pass a little bit here. Uh, when Vale bought North Star in 2010, when you were there, the Epic Pass had been around for a couple of years and it was still gaining traction and you certainly weren't selling the the 1.7 million that Vale is today. But how cool was that for you just to suddenly be on this ski pass where you go down to Heavenly on the day off and go back to Colorado and ski all these other places. 
It was, and I would say it still is incredible. Um, you know, I, I think as we already talked about, there's a lot of weather variability year over year. And so having our resorts on this pass where, you know, there's resorts in Tahoe and resorts in Colorado, it just ensures that people will, will come to ski regardless of the weather conditions. I think, um, you know, you also mentioned just kind of going to ski somewhere else, um, you know, on my days off or things like that. And that, that was big. It's big for all of our employees and for our guests in Tahoe to have that, that choice of heavenly Kirkwood and North star. Um, but, you know, I think the other thing that I, that was, was interesting for me was growing up in Colorado, we never, we didn't go to Tahoe. We didn't go skiing there. And so now with a pass like this, um, or I guess, you know, since for the past several years with a pass like this, um, you know, Coloradans and, and Tahoe folks can go back and forth and experience different locations, which, you know, it doesn't only benefit us um, at the resorts and, and our company, but it also benefits towns like Truckee, which is in, you know, in North Lake Tahoe and Avon and, and Edwards here in Beaver Creek, because um, it means, you know, it means that more folks are coming and, and checking out these locations and eating in the restaurants and shopping at the shops. What's this been like for you? Because when, when North Star joined the Epic Pass, it was cool. You know, the Epic Pass had Vail, Beaver Creek, Keystone, Breckenridge, Heavenly, and Arapahoe Basin was a partner then. And then you had North Star. So that's seven mountains, which at the time was a big deal. There was nothing else like it. But what has that been like just from the inside to watch this thing accelerate and now cover 40 owned resorts, plus a whole bunch more around the world and, and just to be part of that? For me, you know, whether it's, you know, at North Star or Beaver Creek, my focus has, of course, always been on, on the resort that I'm working at. But I would say from a company standpoint and, and being, you know, an employee of Vail Resorts and looking at, at what we're doing and um, and and seeing and, and having other folks join our team has been incredible. I mean, it's been so um, exciting. And, you know, th- that that piece of having peers and resources and folks um, across the country who have different challenges and we can share, you know, kind of best practices and we can learn and share resources with each other. Um, you know, for the example, this last year, I got to be part of, I actually was led our lift, um, operations optimization working group where we really looked at best practices and learnings, um, from across our portfolio of resorts in order to, you know, improve maze flow, safety, um, safely reducing operational stops, um, and really increasing our lift efficiency. And so to have this massive network of, of peers and, you know, decades and decades of experience um, in leadership, it's, it, it feels like to me, I mean, it just feels like being part of a, um, you know, of a winning team. It feels like being part of this big team that can really, you know, run plays and we can win. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been interesting to watch it grow from the outside. I think there's an interesting historical fact about Beaver Creek and that it was really Vail's first resort besides Vail, right? When they opened it in 1980 and, and that was really the only resort besides Vail Mountain itself that Vail ever built from scratch. And I, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, there's, it's very hard. It's very expensive to build a new resort. But do you think that Vail would ever build another resort as they built Beaver Creek? Or is that just not something that the company is interested in doing at this point? 
I think it's I think it's a really interesting question. I think a lot of the points you made are are really solid. Although we you know we do see some of that that going on in current times, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I th- I think with our with our network of you know thirty seven resorts in North America and forty total, I think we've got um, a lot of focus and a lot of energy going into how do we make each one of those resorts the best they can be and. Um, in some cases, that means investing, you know, as, as I mentioned, in our lift infrastructure and putting in new lifts or, um, you know, investing in our guest in, in other things in our guest experience, like the McCoy Park expansion or like the expansion that the Bergman Bowl expansion at Keystone, which we'll be doing this summer. So um, I think there's a lot of opportunity at our current resorts and we'll continue to focus on those. So as Vale has grown, uh, the company has done a really good job of really creating opportunities for women in what has traditionally been a male-dominated industry. And there are now eight women running Vail Resorts. There, there are nine if you still count Tracy out at Mount Snow, but of course she's been promoted. And, and so it'll, it'll, the number will be eight soon. Still a good number. The CEO, Kirsten Lynch, obviously um, is the first woman CEO of a major American ski company and of Vail Resorts. Just talk a little bit about, from your point of view, Nadia, how how Vale deliberately creates these opportunities for women to take on leadership roles and just how important it is for them to do that? Well, yeah, I mean, um, it is um, for me, it's an it's a big deal. It's, you know, um, I've had the good fortune to come after some amazing female leaders. You mentioned Beth Howard, but certainly Pat Campbell. Um, before her, you know, these women have blazed the trail really and made me believe that it was possible. So, um, you know, yeah, Vail Resorts has made a commitment. Our company has made a commitment to creating an environment that really encourages and enables growth opportunities for women that are real. And um, I think it is important. I think it's important to be reflective of the of the society and of the country that we're, we're living in. And so it is a, it is a big statement for our company that, you know, as you mentioned, nine women running resorts and um, four of five of our Colorado resorts are run by women. So that means, you know, in my Rocky mountain team, I've, I've got, I mean, we're in the majority, which is, is really unique. So um, I think, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's very important. I think it's, um, you know, we have, as you, as you said, focused on this. Um, it's part of our leadership philosophy. It's part of how we develop and cultivate leaders. So you've worked your way up and, and now you're the leader of one of the most prominent ski resorts in North America. So channeling this Vail Resorts philosophy of creating these opportunities, what is your focus, Nadia, in creating opportunities for women on the local level to be able to take on these leadership roles at Beaver Creek and really throughout the mountain and throughout the operations? Yeah, there's a few different ways that I that I personally put that into practice in, in my own leadership and here at Beaver Creek. One of one of the first ways is um, was is and was including more women um, in non-traditional positions on my senior leadership team at the resort. So um, you know, I think senior leadership teams at ski resorts have been historically made up of, you know, certain positions. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, I have gone outside of that a little bit in, in order to get those different voices at the table um, and to have representation in our, in our leadership group. I think, um, you know, another way that I 
put this into practice is by connecting with the women who um, work here. So at whatever level that is, um, I often have um, one-on-one conversations with women. And I think one of the biggest, most important conversations to have and, and, and was had with me um, kind of early on at Northstar was around, you know, yeah, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? What are your aspirations? What are your goals? Once we know that, then we know what that roadmap can be and what those opportunities are and what we need to provide and, and expose these women to so that they can reach those goals. Um, you know, I think the, the third thing for me, um, and this is maybe a little bit more personal to me as, as um, a woman in leadership, but it's really important for me to show up as my true self, as my real self every single day. So, um, you know, I, I am not going to deny the characteristics that may be commonly defined as female leadership, you know, things like humility or empathy or compassion or these human first relationships, you know, um, for me, it's important that I, I let that part of me come through because uh, that is who I am. And then the last thing is really just trying to share my story. I mean, we meant, we talked about in the beginning was that my career path and the, and the road that I've taken to get here is not maybe traditional as to, you know, how, how other, how my other peers and colleagues have gotten into their CO or GM roles. And so making sure that I'm sharing that so that, that um, women here at Beaver Creek and across the company understand that there's um, many different paths to take in many different ways uh, to come into this, this level of leadership. So let's, let's talk about employees in general a little bit more here and some of the challenges that they're facing, because I think that there, there's always been some element of, uh, there's always been a little bit of a challenge to living in a mountain town, right? But because of the expense and the remoteness, and even though you're right off I-70, it's because of where you are, there's just not a lot of housing stock available and never has been. But there's been a couple of things compounding that over the past several years. And I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but just as background context, the, obviously the advent and arrival of Airbnb and Verbo and these sorts of short-term rentals, which have taken out a lot of housing stock. And then this relocation, this pandemic era relocation of the white collar workforce who can now work remotely to mountain towns. So just talk about that, Nadia, and, and how that has been a challenge for your employees just to be able to find a place to even live in and, and be able to work in this place that is a magnificent place to be, but it comes with this stress attached to it. So talk about that dynamic and then how you're approaching that and trying to help solve that problem. Yeah, Stuart, I mean, housing is is definitely always on my mind. I think, you know, a lot of the things that you just mentioned are, are real and they're factors for um, not just us here in Eagle County, but our neighbors in Summit County and, and really all resort communities across the country. Um, you know, we are always looking to partner and create more housing. We do have the benefit of having um, housing here in Eagle County for Vale and Beaver Creek employees. Um, we have quite a bit more than a lot of places have. So I feel lucky in the, from that standpoint, but it's not enough um, and we need more. And so, um, you know, having housing and having places for people to live is it's critical to our success as a resort, just like it's critical for our community's long-term success. And so, um, you know, looking at ways to um, increase short-term lease 
um, relationships, transportation. Um, and then, you know, really a, a big part of that is looking at the entire um, employee experience as well. Um, so what, what can we do to make sure that we're providing benefits in other areas that, that help to sort of offset maybe some of the, the costs of these higher rents and things like that? Yeah, last week, or I guess it was the week before at this point, uh, your CEO, Kirsten Lynch, put out a, a really comprehensive plan that would do a lot of things, raise employee pay for one thing, um, you know, create more opportunities, sort of pathways for employees to start a career at Vail. And one of the most important elements of this was the a really direct initiative to build more housing on land that Vail owned. Just talk about that as it relates to Beaver Creek and, and does that open any opportunities for you or accelerate any projects that you already had underway? Right. We did um, make a massive announcement. Kirsten made a massive announcement um, a couple of weeks ago now, 175 million incremental annual investment, which, you know, I mean, it's not 2 million, it's not 5 million, it's 175 million. And so it is massive. And a big part of that is um, focused on affordable housing. So looking at, um, and aggressively pursuing building new affordable housing on land we own, um, but also, as I mentioned, pursuing leases in existing affordable housing developments. I think one, you know, one of the challenges that we see in all of our mountain communities is um, there's not a lot of room to to grow, right? There's not a lot of room to expand, and so um, we'll be looking at that both um, from a from a Vale and Beaver Creek and, and Eagle County comprehensive. Um, approach and pursuing whatever opportunities that, that we're able to um, pursue with our with our community partners and our stakeholders here. So just talk about a little bit about those relationships with the community, because from my point of view in the peanut gallery, sitting from the outside, it seems like there's a lot of no, and there's a lot of people who uh, reflexively oppose things that may be for the community good for one reason or another. Um, how do you how does Vail and how do the communities that Vail operates in, how do you get to a place where you can build housing that that solves your employment problem, but doesn't compromise the character of the community, but be able to do it without fighting over it for years and years to build even the smallest projects? I wish there was an easy answer to that. I think, I think it's a complex question and it's a complex situation. Um, you know, from our standpoint, one of the things we focus on is our relationships with our community. So stakeholders, existing homeowners and landowners, but also, you know, the other folks that um, have, have influence and have the ability to partner with us in these types of things like um, community and leaders, everything from town to county, um, you know, and I think having those ongoing conversations and being able to collaborate um, and partner in order to take advantage of um, opportunities, as well as, as bring the community along and understand why this is important for everyone. Um, I think, you know, having frontline employees, not just at, at Vale and Beaver Creek, but in our restaurants and retail stores and ski shops um, and grocery stores uh, across Eagle County is incredibly important for everyone who lives in the community. And so that means that that really this, this issue is, is everybody's issue and we all need to come to the table and find solutions that, that work. What have you seen that has worked, Nadia, in your time at North Star and in the Vale Valley? What, what have been some successes that you were either personally involved in or, or you observed from afar where you were able to get something substantive built? 
I haven't been part of actually building anything yet. Um, so I don't have much to, to add in that area, but the area that I have experience in is in these short-term leases. And so when I was at Northstar, um, we actually didn't have any housing that we owned and operated. There was Sawmill Heights that, that is on North Star property. It was operated um, by a third party and many of our employees lived there, uh, but it was, certainly wasn't big enough for everyone. And so um, we secured a multi-unit location down in um, Kings Beach and we're able to partner with the owners to um, you know, renovate it and make it make it suitable and, um, and livable for our employees. And so, you know, working on what does that relationship and, and deal look like with the owner? So I've had part, you know, I've, I've been part of that. And then, you know, here at Beaver Creek, historically, we've also, um, we have had some short-term leases. You look at um, things like um, hotels and different properties. And I think th those are great things. They're not, um, they don't solve everything. You know, they're, they are good solutions and they come with other challenges like making sure there's um, transportation and making sure our employees wherever they're living can get to and from work a lot of them come especially if they're living in employee housing they don't come with vehicles and so the transit um, and local transportation um, services be it county or um, whatever it is is incredibly important so um, that's also something that, that we have lots of conversations about with our community um, constituents all right, Nadia, let's wrap up today with an issue that I know is very important to you, and it's related to the housing issue very closely. And and that's really the uh, the issue of mental health in mountain communities. And, and the you know, obviously, one of the most stressful things that can affect anyone is housing insecurity. So this is something that you personally have invested a lot in. So just talk about this crisis of mental health in mountain towns and how you've worked to address it. Yeah, um, thanks for mentioning that. I mean, it, it is, it's a real crisis. And it's, um, you know, I think, unfortunately, it's, it's a national crisis that maybe is heightened in some of our resort communities, you know, it's, it's a place that people come to um, be outside and, and recreate and, and sort of, um, you know, uh, address their challenges that come through life by, you um, being outside. And, and unfortunately, sometimes that's not, um, that doesn't work for long, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so one of the things personally, for me, I am a member of the Eagle Valley Behavioral Health Board of Directors. I serve on that board. It's a, um, it's a, a board that's um, under the, um, it's, it's connected to Vail Health. And so behavioral health, mental and behavioral health in Eagle County is a major focus um, for uh, our leadership group here in Eagle County. But for me personally, um, you know, I, I think that the, the big thing that I'm focused on and I'm focused on with my team, because this is where I have reach and influence is um, elevating mental and behavioral health topics um, in order to reduce the stigma. So in my manager's meetings, we talk about, um, you know, that it's that it's not, that it is okay to not be okay. And if you're not okay, um, Let's get you the, the resources and help that you need. We've got a ton of resources and um, incredible nonprofit organizations here in Eagle County. And so a big part of what I do try and do is make sure we've got all that information. Um, they support residences and businesses. We have a, um, an EAP as part of our Vail Resorts benefits package for employees. So um, an employee assistance program where they can get free therapy 
um, if, if that's something they, they want. And so, you know, it's really important to me that, um, as you know, we are all here having a human experience. Uh, we spend a lot of time at work, um, but there's also things that are going on outside of work. And so if we have the opportunity to help our employees and to provide resources and to give them the support that they need, that's incredibly important to me. And so, yeah, I am focused on making sure that um, everyone that works at Beaver Creek knows what, who they can ask for help, where they can go for help, and that it's okay to ask for help. Well, amazing initiative, Nadia, and uh, really good work that you're doing out there in a lot of different elements and, and exciting time for the ski area and glad you got that expansion open. I can't wait to come out and see it for myself next year. And, and I wish you the very best of luck with the end of this season and your off season and for many years to come with Vail Resorts. Stuart, thank you so much. It's been really great to talk with you and uh, let me know when you come out to Beaver Creek. We'll take a few laps out in McCoy Park. That's Nadia Guerrero, Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of Beaver Creek Resort, Colorado. Nadia, thank you so much for that. Look, I don't know if you guys caught that, but she did something in there that was pretty amazing to me. When I tried glossing her as a Colorado native, Nadia was like, oh no, I moved here when I was four. I'm not a real native. Like anyone was gonna call her out on that. I thought that was really amazing because from my experience, any knucklehead on Facebook who has lived in Summit County for five seconds calls themselves a local. Like they forded the Mississippi on a raft and just discovered the place. I love the humility there on Nadia's part. It is really cool and a very strong quality in a leader. So thank you all very much for listening. I am not slowing this machine down anytime soon. Coming up next, I've got a conversation booked with Nick Meir, who owns and operates Snow Ridge in New York. This is an Indy Pass mountain, only 500 foot of vert, but it often racks up as much as 200 inches of snowfall in a season. And Nick is a really outspoken guy, really interesting character, and I think you're really going to enjoy that one. After that, I've got podcasts lined up with the leaders of Big Sky, Montana, Summit Esnoqualmie, Washington, Ragged Mountain, New Hampshire, and Arapahoe Basin, Colorado. The very best way to follow along with the updates on the podcast lineup, along with other breaking news, is to follow The Storm on Twitter, at Storm Ski Journal. I'm also on Instagram at that same handle. And really, do yourself and me a favor and go visit stormskiing.com and sign up for the Storm Skiing newsletter. That is the center of the storm. Until next time, stay well, stay safe. I'm Stuart Winchester, and I will talk to you again very soon. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.